0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. I was um, reading about a story that uh, happened a number of years ago, and uh, it all began in Israel, in Tel Aviv. uh, There was a a plane that was taking off towards Paris, and a number of individuals were there, about 250 individuals were on this plane, and uh, there. Uh, I'm sure many of them were planning on maybe taking a vacation, going up to Paris, and and, uh, maybe a few were on a business trip, and and some maybe perhaps even seeing family. There's a number of uh, different reasons for them all uh, visiting and uh, traveling. I don't know exactly what the reasons were, but it was in the summer of 1976, and uh, they were traveling up there. Uh, They made a quick stop in Athens, and the plan was to go from there, from Athens, to Paris to finish the trip. They landed in Athens, they had a stopover, they they took off into the air and it wasn't soon after that two individuals, a man and a woman, stood up, they pulled out a pair of pistols and grenades and uh, stormed the front and uh, hijacked that airplane. And they told the plane to go fly down to Uganda. And there's about 250 individuals that are on this plane. And uh, as you can imagine, with the hijacking, there's a number, there's uh, all sorts of communications happening between different nations and and those with citizens on the plane. And and with it being from uh, the nation of Israel, there were a number of people that were from uh, Israel there on the plane. And the terrorists, they had a demand. They said, there are about 50. Palestinian or pro-Palestinian people who were jailed, and we want them to be released. They had this demand. And so they communicated that with the government, and the government, uh, they're trying to figure out what to do and trying to formulate a plan. They're trying to think, okay, maybe we could negotiate with them. That's, that's maybe a possibility. But also thinking about the alternatives as well. And so they're thinking about all of these different plans, and, and uh, one fortunate thing that happened was uh, just over half of them were allowed to leave. But there were still 100 Israelis still there, in Uganda. Yitzhak Rabin, the prime minister there, he said, we got to do something. So he got his best soldiers. He got all of his commanders and his generals together and said, we, we got to figure out a plan. We got to figure out how to get our, 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 our people back. We got to figure out how to rescue them. So they formulated this plan and, and uh, they, they gathered a number of planes and coordinated with a number of different countries. And, and uh, they, they got some satellite images and figured out exactly the kinds of uh, cars that, uh, that uh, the dictator there in Uganda was using and, and uh, figured out all of these different things in order to be able to go in there. And they were practicing, they were practicing, what do we do when we get onto the, onto the, the airstrip where all of the hostages were being held? And, and uh, they had figured out that we would, they would be able to, once they got on the premises, to be able to evacuate all 100 of them in 55 minutes. So they said, "Well, we got to go forward with our plan." And so they went down. They sent the planes down, and and uh, they had a hospital airplane that was there in Kenya, ready on standby. And, and they sent a number of uh, planes down there, and and uh, one of the planes had a number of the cars that the dictator just just like the ones that the dictator was using, and uh, had them rolling in, and and uh, soon it was it was on to rescue a hundred hostages. Bullets were raining down on that small, abandoned airport, and the commandos, all the soldiers are running in and trying to rescue all of the hostages, and they get them out, and they pull them onto the plane, and they start taking off, and, and everybody there is rejoicing for those that they were able to save. They were able to save all but three. They did lose their commander, Jonathan Netanyahu. You may recognize the name. His brother is the current prime minister of Israel. He lost his life in order to rescue these 100 individuals and it's a great story of bravery it's a great story of individuals seeking to save and to rescue some hostages and you might think about a number of different rescue stories that you may have heard about maybe something happening on the highway close by maybe you think about some uh, natural disasters and think about some of the stories of people being saved from their homes and and uh, with uh, different uh, areas being flooded. Sometimes you see those pictures of it being flooded and and, uh, individuals, they have to get up onto the roof in order to to stay safe and then people riding out on boats to rescue them. And and you might have a number of different images and a number of different stories of of some great events of rescue in times of trouble, in times of natural disaster, in times uh, of uh, great danger. But I want to tell you this morning about the greatest rescue story of all. And it didn't involve just some soldiers and a few nations. It was not just for a hundred hostages. The Bible tells us about the greatest rescue story of all time, which was for all people, for every man, woman, and child. The greatest rescue story, not just to save a physical life, but to save them for all of eternity. To save them from a place called hell. To bring them into a restored relationship with God. It's the story of the gospel. It's the story of Jesus Christ. It's the story of the Bible. It's the story of why we are here today. God sent his son to this earth to die on a cross to rescue us. And not only that, those that are saved, he has organized into churches all around the world, and he is coordinating them in order to reach people with the saving news of Jesus Christ, to show them that there is a way of salvation and a way of rescue. And you may are be familiar with the term that we are saved and salvation, and and that might be a term that everybody is familiar with, but one of the questions that needs to be asked is, when we get saved, what are we getting saved from? When we say that Jesus, he is here to rescue us, we see here, shipwrecked, rescued by Jesus, what are we being rescued from? If you're on a, on a deserted island, you are being rescued from the deserted island. If you're in a hostage situation, you're being saved from those individuals. Uh, and if you're in a natural disaster, then you're being saved from that. But when we talk about the Bible and what God says and, and that you could be saved, that you could be rescued, what are you being rescued from? The Bible makes it clear that we are being rescued from sin. That we need to be saved from sin. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to rescue sinners from their sin. Have you been rescued this morning? Are you saved today? Have you been rescued from your sins this morning? I want to take a look at three components of sin that we are saved from when we trust in Christ as Savior. Number one, I see that we are rescued from the penalty... Of sin. When we say that we are rescued by Jesus and that we are saved, we are saved from the penalty of sin. Usually, when people say that they are saved, this is what they are talking about. They say, We are saved from the penalty of sin. When you go to a, a doctor's office for the first time, maybe you go to a, a new doctor, typically, when you visit a new uh, hospital or a new doctor, they typically ask you to fill out a form, right? And You sit there in the lobby, you sit there in the office and they give you this clipboard and they give you a stack of papers and they say fill it out. And so at the top it's your name and your your date of birth and your address, you know, some information about you, you're familiar with it. And then you flip it over and, and there's usually a questionnaire below that, right? Do you have a history of high blood pressure? Do you have a history of diabetes? Do you, have you ever had cancer? Have you ha- ever had a major surgery? And, and they might ask you a number of different questions. And, and they might even take it further. Uh, do you have any history in your family? Do you have any, anybody in your family that has a history of maybe high blood pressure, heart attack, or, or uh, different things like that? And, and uh, I've been fairly fortunate. For the most part, I can check most of these no, right? Have I ever had cancer? No, I've never had cancer. Have I had diabetes? No, I haven't. And for the most part, I could just go down the line and say, no, 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 no. And then, you know, when it gets to my family, do you have any history of this or that? For the most part, I can check no. I have to check one for, is anybody in your family have diabetes? My uncle, he has diabetes. And so I have to check that. There's a there's a history of that. And and uh, there might be a fortunate individual here this morning who'd be able to, if you looked at that form, you'd be able to say, no, 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 no. I don't have any of these things, nobody in my family, and you might be blessed with good health in that way, physically. But if God were to give us a spiritual questionnaire about our spiritual health, and we were to fill out the form and then flip it over and see the questionnaire, there would only be one question. And that one question would be, have you ever sinned? Have you ever sinned? And the answer for each and every one of us would have to be yes. Not a single one of us will be able to check the no box on that questionnaire. Every single one of us would have to check yes because sin applies to all of us. Every single one of us in this room this morning, sin applies to each of us. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Every single person here today No matter your life circumstance, no matter your background, no matter your culture or your upbringing, whether you are young or old, whether you are rich or poor, whether you are healthy or sick, whether you are highly educated or not so highly educated, every single one of us is a sinner. Every single one of us, we've broken God's law. Every single one of us, we need to go to the great physician because sin applies to all of us. Not only that, sin affects all of us. Not only does sin apply to all of us, sin affects all of us. I've had this mark on my arm. I can't show it to you right now, but there's a mark right here on my arm that I've had as long as I've, you know, looked at my arm. There's always been this little mark there, and for the longest time, I never really knew what it was. I, I thought maybe it's like a, a, it's kind of reddish in color, kind of a dark red. I thought maybe it's like a, an oddly colored mole or something like that, and and uh, something interesting happened. When my child was born, my child had something that looked exactly like that. And uh, I asked the doctor, and he told me the medical name for it, which I can't really remember what it is. But I looked it up later. It's a, uh, you know, I, I think what it is is it's just a lot of blood vessels. They just grow rapidly in this one place. And so there's a lot of blood there, and so it's it's reddish because of all the blood. My, on my child, you could push it in, and it would push all the blood away, and it would look just like a normal skin color, and then the the blood would fill back in, but it's a benign condition. I don't take any medication for it. I don't have any treatments for it. I don't need to get it surgically removed. It's completely benign. It doesn't affect my life in any way, shape, or form, other than when my child is sitting next to me, she likes to touch it. She likes to feel it. She She just sits there, and sometimes she rubs it. It's a benign condition. It doesn't affect me, in a positive or negative way, in any way, shape, or form. But sin is not a benign health condition. Sin is a dangerous condition with serious consequences. Sin needs to be dealt with. Sin needs to be addressed. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse number 20 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. It is a guarantee for your health condition. Sin has a guarantee. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. It's not a 50% mortality rate. It's not a 75% mortality rate. It is a hundred percent of people with sin, it is guaranteed that they will die and they will go to hell. Unless you get the antidote from Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that's why Jesus Christ He died on this cross in order to help us with our sin, to deal with our sin, to cure us of our sin. To deal with the penalty of our sin. John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned but he that believeth not is condemned already because that he believeth not in the name of the only begotten son of God. Have you trusted in Christ as your Savior this morning? Have you trusted in Jesus to cleanse you of your sin? When we say that we need to be rescued, we need to be rescued from the penalty of sin. If we have sin, it leads to death. And death means death in hell. And God doesn't want us to go there. That's why God sent his son to die on the cross so that we could be rescued from the penalty of sin. The theological word for that is justification. If you've been saved, you've been justified. But not only have we been rescued from the penalty of sin, Jesus didn't just die on the cross to rescue us from the penalty of sin. He died on the cross to rescue us from the power of sin. He died on the cross to rescue us From the power of sin, I think every one of us has moments where we know the right thing to do, but we've chosen not to do it. And we know the wrong thing to do, the thing that we shouldn't do, and yet we choose to do it anyway. I think every single one of us can think about moments where we know that we're supposed to go do something and we choose not to do it anyway. We procrastinate, and we procrastinate, and we procrastinate. Sometimes it's a comfort to read that people in the Bible, they they went through the same things that I do. Romans chapter 7, verse 15 says, For that which I do, The things that I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Doesn't that sound like us sometimes? Don't we have those days where this is exactly us? Verse number 19, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Sometimes we look back on our days and we look back on our lives and we we have some regrets and we think about, wow, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I say that? Verse number 20 says, now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. You know what's doing it in you? You have sin in you. And that's the the sin that is coming out. Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with a mind I myself serve the law of God and with the flesh the law of sin. Jesus died on the cross to rescue us from the penalty of sin so that we don't have to go to hell, but also to rescue us from the power of sin. Even though I've had my sins to be forgiven, I am free from the penalty of sin in hell forever, and yet on a daily basis I sin. And so do you. Well, what is that? If we've been saved and we still sin, why is that? How is that? It's because... We are still in the process of being rescued from the power of sin. That's what sanctification is. Sanctification is being rescued from the power of sin. Romans 6, 6 says, Knowing this that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse number 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having the seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Every single believer, every single one of you that say, yes, I am saved. Yes, I've trusted in Christ as my Savior. Yes, I have my sins to be forgiven. I'm on my way to heaven. Every single one of us should desire to flee from sin and wickedness and iniquity. Because the source is a changed character. A child of God doesn't live differently to try to become something different. He lives differently because he is different. He has been changed. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 14 says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversations, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. God makes it very clear that when you get saved, you become a new creature. You're a different person before you got saved and after you got saved. The person you were before you got saved, that was the old man. With the old nature, the old creature, when you get saved, you're a different individual. How many of you know the name Siegfried and Roy? How many of you know that name? You've recognized the name. Okay. Siegfried and Roy he was one of those uh, guys that you would see on television, or you go to Las Vegas and see the show. They were magicians and, and uh, things like that. They were famous for the Tigers.? Okay? You remember the Tigers with Siegfried and Roy. You might remember uh, seeing some pictures where, you know, they would stand up on stage and the tiger would come up and, and uh, do all of these different kinds of things. And there was one day in, in 2003 where Roy of Siegfried and Roy, he was attacked by one of the tigers. He was attacked, critically injured. He went to the hospital, suffered a lot of blood loss. They canceled his show because of his, of his recovery and, and a lot of different uh, uh, after effects because of the attack. It was a tragic accident. Fortunately, he survived, and, and he lived through that incident. But you think about it. Siegfried and Roy, just two guys and a huge tiger. Is it any surprise if a tiger acts like a tiger acts? I mean, I know that they spent a lot of time training and raising up and feeding and and all of these different things. But is it really a surprise if a tiger acts the way a tiger acts? Is it any surprise that every dog that you see, they're, they're all dogs, and they all act like dogs. You can hear the dogs. And is it any surprise when a cat sleeps all day long? Is it any surprise when a cat acts like a cat, sounds like a cat, behaves like a cat, Is it any surprise when different animals, they act differently? A cat and a dog are different. They're different from a horse. They're different from a mouse. They're different from ants and bees. They're all different. They all have their own natures. They are different. And because they are different, they act differently. A Christian should act differently because he is different. A Christian doesn't try to fit into the world because He's not like the world anymore. He used to be like the world, but he's not anymore. He's different. He's been changed. He's a new man. He's a new creature. The Bible says that Jesus Christ died on the cross to rescue us from the power of sin. Because we've had a new nature. We've been changed in our hearts. But also to seek a certain crop. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to this flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. You know, when you go to the mall or you go to a shopping center, there's all sorts of stores there, right? Everybody has their favorite brands, everybody has their favorite stores. And and everybody has the places that they like to go. And and if you go there a lot, you might even know exactly where every single store is. I'm going to go to this store, and then I'm going to go to that store, and then I'm going to go to this store, and I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to go over there. And and, uh, there's a lot of different stores offering a lot of different things that you might be able to shop at. And if you don't like this mall, you could go to a different mall. You don't like that mall, you go to a different shopping center. And, And some people they go to all the malls, they go to all the shopping centers, and they go shopping in all the different places. But spiritually speaking, there are only two stores. There's the store of the flesh, and there's the store of the spirit. Only two stores to shop at. And when you were lost, before you got saved, you were locked in the store of the flesh. Only able to buy and purchase and use the things of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5 verse number 19 tells us the things that are in the store of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. That's Paul's way of saying, there's a bunch of other things, you know what they are, I don't need to tell you, right? You know what I'm talking about. If you shop in the store of the flesh, you reap the things of the flesh anger strife bitterness broken relationships you have those things but when you are saved the doors of the flesh of that store they get open and unlocked and you are free to shop in the other store you are free to shop in the store of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. The believer who has trusted in Christ as a Savior, he's different. He acts different. He lives different because he is different. He's had his nature to be changed. Not only that, he seeks a different fruit. He doesn't want the things that he had before. That's what Romans chapter 6, 21 says. What fruit had ye in in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Paul writes to the church at Rome and he says, those things that you used to do, you're ashamed of them. You can't believe that those were the things that you were doing. How many of you have an old shoebox full of pictures of when you were younger? and you have those little pictures. Sometimes I have pictures that my friends took like 10 years ago and then they put them up on Facebook. They say, hey, remember this? And I'm like, I'm trying to forget that. <laughs> Can you leave that in the past? Can you leave it in history? And you might have some of those pictures where you look up the pictures and you're like, I did that in high school? Why did I do that? Be careful, high schoolers. <laughs> you might look at your why did I wear that? Why did I do that? Why did I think that was cool? Wow, I thought I was so cool. And then I look back now and I'm like, what was I thinking? What was I doing? You're, almost, you're embarrassed even of some of the things that you did, right? You might even go as so far as to say, wow, I'm ashamed that I even did that. Wow, I can't believe that I was like that. You know, a believer who has trusted in Christ as a Savior when he looks back on the pictures of his life before he got saved and he looks at those old pictures in the shoebox and, and he looks at those old pictures, he's ashamed of those things. He says, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I lived that way. I, I talked that way. I acted that way. I dressed that way. You know, we talked about being rescued by Jesus from, you know, from, a, 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 from an island. You know, if you were abandoned on an island for a year, imagine how you might look and how you might behave and how you might live and the things that you might be eating just to survive and the the way that your hair might look, the way that you might smell, the the way that your clothes would be tattered and and worn. Can you imagine if, if somebody were on a deserted island for a year and you rescued them? Imagine what they might look like. And they're brought back here. They're brought back to this area. They're brought back home. How silly would it be for that man to say, I don't want to shower. I've lived like this for, my, for the last year. I want to keep smelling this way. And I want my hair to keep looking this way. And I, I kind of like the, the jagged lines of my clothes as they were ripped and torn as I was you know, going through the forest. You know, I, I don't want that steak. There was no steak on the deserted island. You know, I'd rather eat these, you know, plants, and I'd rather eat just whatever's crawling around. You'd say, hey... You've been rescued. You don't have to do that anymore. And the believer, he doesn't have to do that anymore. There's something better for the believer. To seek a certain crop, also to serve with compassion our Christ. Before, when we were on our own way, we were on our way to hell. We were on our way to eternal destruction, but we were intercepted by the Lord to save us from our sins. We were purchased by Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 19 says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? Which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which our gods. If you're saved this morning, you were purchased by God. God paid a great price to save you. Jesus Christ didn't save your soul with money. He paid for it with his life. He died on the cross. He was beaten by men. He hung there on a a hill above the, the city for all to see. And he hung there in pain and torment and agony for your soul, for my soul, so that we could be saved, so that we could go to heaven. Doesn't that God deserve our service? Doesn't this kind of a God who loves us so much, doesn't he deserve our service? 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says we love him because he first loved us. He loves us. He loves you and he loves me. That's why in Romans chapter 12, verse number 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Nobody has or ever will do more for you than Jesus Christ. Nobody has ever given you more or will do more for you than Jesus Christ. Jesus gave you life. He's the creator of the world. Jesus gave you your opportunities. Jesus gave you your talents and your abilities. Jesus gave you eternal life. No job can give you eternal life. No academic success can give you eternal life. No friend can give you eternal life but Jesus Christ. Would you serve Jesus Christ today? Would you serve him with your life today? Sometimes it feels like believers, they need to be baited in order to serve the Lord. Isn't Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross enough? Isn't his death on the cross enough for a believer to be faithful to his house? Isn't that enough? What more does Jesus have to do? Isn't his death on the cross enough for a believer to say, I'm going to serve him with all of my life because he gave his life for me. Isn't that enough? What more does Jesus have to do for you? What more does Jesus have to do for me? For me to abstain from sin. For me to leave my own way and go his way. To follow his word, to live for him. What more does Jesus have to do? For you to serve him today? Does he have to give you a million dollars to serve him? Is that what he has to do? Does he have to give you a mansion? Does he have to give you the travels of the world? Does he have to give you some certain experience? Isn't eternal life in heaven for all of eternity, for millions, billions, trillions, endless years? Isn't that enough to serve him? Jesus died on the cross so that we could be rescued from the power of sin. There's a song that I sang when I was growing up, and I went to vacation Bible school, and I helped in vacation Bible school. The first verse goes like this. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. The things I used to say, I don't say them anymore. The things I used to say, I don't say them anymore. The things I used to say, I don't say them anymore because there's been a great change since I've been born again. The places I used to go, I don't go there anymore. The places I used to go, I don't go there anymore. The places I used to go, I don't go there anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. The things I used to wear, I don't wear them anymore. The things I used to wear, I don't wear them anymore. The things I used to wear, I don't wear them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. Jesus, he died on the cross so you could be rescued from the penalty of sin. He also died on the cross so that you could be rescued from the power of sin. You can have victory in your Christian life today. Thirdly, though, he died on the cross to rescue us from the presence of sin. A believer who has trusted in Christ has been rescued. They're saved. But there's one more thing that we need to be saved from, which is the presence of sin. Think about all of the pain and suffering and heartache in this world. Think about the separation. Think about the death. Think about the, the torments, the trials, the tribulations. You know the source of all of that? You know where all of that came from? It came from sin. It came from choosing to go our own way, to not do what God says in in the Bible. But one day, we'll be rescued from the presence of sin. There's going to be no more pain, no more heartache, no more suffering, no more separation, no more death, because sin is gone, sin will be taken away, and we won't have to deal with the presence of sin in our bodies. First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse fifty-two. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Verse five. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what Paul is writing to the church here at Corinth in this passage? What he's saying is you don't have to be afraid of death. In fact, you can almost rejoice because this earth is the worst it will ever get. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place. Heaven's going to be a perfect place. Heaven's going to be a sinless place. And if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, that's where you'll be for all of eternity. Where God will save us and rescue us forever from the presence of sin. You know, you think about this world. This world is an amazing place with so many amazing things, aren't there? Amazing things to experience, places to visit and see. Amazing foods to try and eat. Amazing things to do here on earth. There's so many things. This world, is a, it's a great place, isn't it? But there's a better place that's coming. If you think this earth is great, imagine the next one that God is going to send. Revelation chapter 21, verse number 1 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the whole city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, neither crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. How many of you want to be in that place? How many of you want to be in that heaven where there's no pain, no suffering, no sorrow? What's making you cry these days? What causes you pain in your heart? You know, all of that will be gone when we get to heaven. There's no more pain. There's no more crying. There's no more heartache. No more suffering. No more separation. No more death. That's going to be the perfect place. You know why? Because it is in that place we'll be rescued from the presence of sin. Are you saved today? Have you been rescued by Jesus? Have you been rescued from the penalty of sin? Are you on your way to heaven today? Are you going there? Have you been rescued from the power of sin? Is anybody here struggling in their Christian life? You say, I know 100% sure that I'm saved. But I'm struggling with my Christian life. You can have victory today. That's why Jesus died on the cross for your sins. So that you can be rescued from the power of sin. And one day, if you trusted in Christ as your Savior, you'll be rescued from the presence of sin forever. Are you saved today?